You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. Today is July 25th, and this is episode 129 of Lighthearted. Today we're heading to Northern California, and we'll be talking about the Point Cabrillo Lighthouse. My co-host today is Jeff Gales, Executive Director of the U.S. Lighthouse Society, coming to us from the left coast of the U.S. in Washington State. Hey, Jeff, how's it going? I'm doing great. Just looking out my office window at Admiralty Inlet, although it's a little foggy, can't see too far today. Uh-huh. Well, I'm looking out my window at Bluefish Boulevard, and it's not foggy, but all I can see is the house next door, but that's okay. okay. But I've been where you are and seen that view, so I know how spectacular it is. So things are starting to open up more as we're getting into uh, later in the summer here. Things are sort of getting back to, to normal or close to it, a lot of our lighthouses. Yeah, we have a lot of uh, lighthouses ordering passports to sell, and we're getting lots of calls. Things are really busy for the past few weeks. Things have been crazy here at the headquarters, which is a good thing and a yeah. sign that uh, lighthouses are getting back to normal. They, they could use it after being closed last year, that's for sure. That's for sure. And a lot of places still, you know, not fully reopened, but we're definitely getting uh, closer and closer every every day. So that's a really great news. So I understand, Jeff, uh, you actually have some experience with the lighthouse we're talking about today, Point Cabrillo. In Northern California. I believe you are actually personally associated with a lighthouse just a little bit down the coast there. Yeah. The first uh, lighthouse experience I ever had uh, was at Point Arena. Not only the first lighthouse I took a picture of happened to be Point Arena in Mendocino County, but the first lighthouse I worked at as well. And uh, very soon after starting, I was uh, doing research on anything I could find locally and statewide and nationally regarding lighthouses. My research actually led me to a lighthouse uh, just north of us, uh, just a few miles, Point Cabrillo, which happens to be a little bit south of the town of Mendocino. And um, they had already done with their lighthouse what we had hoped to do with Point Arena. It had been already uh, very nicely restored with a beautiful museum. They also had a, a working Fresnel lens, which is was actually the navigational aid and in order to support that lens, they created a uh, Coast Guard Auxiliary Flotilla, which was very unusual. Normally, flotillas are only developed to take care of boating safety and things at harbors and what have you. Well, this flotilla was set up with people who just wanted to help with maintaining the lens and keeping it safe and active. Mm-hmm. So uh, I signed up, and I, to this day, am still a flotilla member of the Point Cabrillo Lighthouse Auxiliarist team, and proud to be. They do a wonderful job up there. But that's my connection to Point Cabrillo. Cool. Yeah. I was out there in 2015, visited both of those lighthouses. They're both beautiful, spectacular locations. Boy, Point Arena has to be one of the most spectacular locations of uh, any lighthouse on either coast, I would say. Being at the tip of that peninsula for any length of time, you see all types of interesting weather phenomena and animals and mm-hmm. people. I mean, uh, it's a great place. And uh, uh, we were there for three years, uh, my wife and I, Melissa. It was a really amazing experience. But I can tell you, after living that remote for that long, we were ready to move to San Francisco to work for the Lighthouse Society when that opportunity I, came up. 
I can understand that. Now you're a little bit more away from civilization at Point No Point Lighthouse in Washington, but not too uh, far. We feel like we've achieved the perfect perfect medium. We, we're completely remote. We are completely engulfed in the city, and now we have the best of both worlds. Yeah, you're not far from Seattle. And we're at a lighthouse. I mean, how can you beat that? You can't. So, uh, Jeff, has anything interesting happened on this date in lighthouse history by any chance? As a matter of fact, yes, Jeremy, and it related to Point Cabrillo. On the night of July 25th, 1850, the ship Frolic misjudged its distance from the shore and ran aground just north of Point Cabrillo. This was during the gold rush days in California, and the Frolic was carrying household goods, and it was bound for San Francisco. An attempt to salvage the Frolic failed, but the men who led the salvage effort in turn discovered the Redwood Forest, and it was the harvesting of the redwoods, of course, after that, that put Mendocino on the map. Yeah, so in a way it was sort of a lucky shipwreck, I guess. Well, not for um, the redwoods. Well, that's true too, yeah, as a matter of fact. The site of the wreck of the Frolic is now a California State Underwater Park. And also on the state, July 25th, 1894, the actor Walter Brennan was born in my hometown, Lynn, Massachusetts. Uh, Walter Brennan, of course, is remembered for the TV series The Real McCoys and movies like To Have and Have Not, Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall. Uh, he once gave this advice to young actors, quote, go ahead and learn how to act, but don't get caught at it, unquote. So, Jeff, let's tell everyone about Point Cabrillo Lighthouse and today's guest. Okay, uh, Point Cabrillo is in Northern California, about midway between San Francisco and the border with Oregon. The point is named for Juan Rodriguez Cabrillo, an explorer who sailed the California coast on behalf of Spain in 1542 and 43. It took a series of shipwrecks in the vicinity and pleas from mill owners and mariners before the Lighthouse Board and Congress came up with the funds for a lighthouse and construction began in the summer of 1908. An octagonal lighthouse tower was combined with a fog signal in an attractive building that has been likened to a small church built of local redwood and Douglas fir. Three dwellings were erected for the keepers and their families uphill and a few hundred feet back from the lighthouse. The lantern was fitted with a third order Fresnel lens created by Chance Brothers of England. It's one of only three British built lenses still in use in the United States today. That's interesting. I didn't know about it, about that uh, Chance Brothers being one of only three. That's amazing. The Coast Guard keepers left in 1972 when the navigational light in the lighthouse was replaced by a rotating automatic uh, DCB 224 aero beacon that was mounted on the roof of the fog signal building. The Coast Guard continued to use the dwellings as housing for Coast Guard families until 1992 when the property was bought by the California State Coastal Conservancy. Restoration followed and the Fresnel lens in the lighthouse was reactivated. After restoration, the duty of managing the station was handed over to the nonprofit Point Cabrillo Lightkeepers Association. Two of the former keepers' houses and two smaller buildings are open for overnight stays. A museum and gift shop are open daily, and there's an aquarium and marine science exhibit in another light station building. And Jen Lewis began volunteering at Point Cabrillo Light Station when she moved to Mendocino County in 2016, and she has been the outreach manager for the nonprofit Point Cabrillo Lighthouse Keepers Association since 2018. And I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Jen Lewis. I think uh, everybody's going to really enjoy this interview, so let's listen to that now. 
I am speaking today with Jen Lewis, who is the outreach manager for the Point Cabrillo Lightkeepers Association at Point Cabrillo Lighthouse in California. And Jen, uh, you, you and I were just chatting a little bit before we officially got the interview underway here, and we discussed the, the proper pronunciation of the of Point Cabrillo or Cabrillo. So where do you come down on that? Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's an interesting conversation because for many years, um, we were named for Juan Rodriguez Cabrillo, who was uh, an explorer in the 1500s who sailed under the Spanish flag. And for many years, people always thought that he was born in Portugal. And the pronunciation in Portuguese would have been a little bit different than in Spanish. So for many years, um, we always assumed that it would have been pronounced Cabrillo. And uh, in recent years, actually just, I think, two years ago, more evidence was found that Juan was actually born in Spain, which means that the pronunciation would be Cabrillo. Um, so, you know, we really don't care. You can pronounce it either way you like. Um, but uh, these days we do typically stick with the Cabrillo pr pronunciation. Um, but a lot of our uh, older light keepers, you know, folks who lived here at the light station back in the day, they still pronounce it Cabrillo. And I think that's fun. You know, it's it's interesting to have a little bit of diversity there. Absolutely. So I've been saying Cabrillo, so I'll, I'll stick with that. That's <laughs> Me too. Good, good to know too. that it's, uh, <laughs> it is acceptable. Before we talk about the lighthouse itself, first of all, let me, I haven't said yet, thank you so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. And I'd just like to talk a little bit about your background. Uh, so what brought you to Mendocino County and your position with the uh, Point Cabrillo Lighthouse? Yeah, you know, it's a it's an interesting little story, actually. I, I grew up in Bend, Oregon. That's where I lived all my life. And it's a beautiful little town, but it is very much landlocked. And I've always been a big history buff. I love stories about the ocean, about ships, about lighthouses, you know, stories from the coast. And I knew that when I was ready to get out of Bend, I wanted to live somewhere on the ocean. So I actually took a job with a coffee roasting company uh, here in Fort Bragg, California, when I first moved here. And I worked as their digital marketing manager. And uh, incredible, incredible company. But what ended up happening was right after I accepted that job, I, I thought to myself, you know, I don't know a single person in Mendocino County other than the people I interviewed with. I'm going to need something to fill my weekend. Um, and I loved lighthouses since I was a little girl, and I always, you know, wanted to work at a lighthouse when I was a child. Um, so I actually I googled lighthouses in Mendocino County, and there happened to be this lighthouse, Point Cabrillo Lighthouse, just about ten minutes away from uh, from my workplace. So I sent them an email and I said, "Hey, um, if you have." If you have spaces for volunteers or you need people to lead tours or do, um, you know, group information sessions or anything like that. I love lighthouses and I don't know anybody. So put me to work. And I started volunteering there every Saturday afternoon uh, for the first couple of years that I lived on the coast. And then the gift shop manager at the time, Kath, um, she was retiring. She was ready to, you know, step away from her position at the lighthouse. And so she reached out to me and said, you know, I think you're perfect for this. How do we make this work? And uh, and I started working at Point Cabrillo as their outreach manager in September of 2018. Well, yeah. sounds, sounds like a perfect fit. 
That whole region, the Northern California coast and the Oregon coast is so beautiful. Uh, It is incredible. You know, I remember when I first came down for the interview with the coffee roasting company and I I stepped out on the headlands and it was the middle of August. So we typically get a lot of fog during that season. You know, our summer times can be very foggy and stepping out onto the headlands as the fog broke through and just the amazing intensity of those headlands, you know, those huge cliffs, the crashing waves, and then that thick layer of fog laid over everything. I immediately was like, oh man, this is this is a place I want to live for a long time. Yeah, I completely understand that. Maybe this is hard to answer in briefly, but what are some of the things you do in your position as outreach manager at the Lattice? <laughs> you are you are absolutely right. Um, I mean, as anyone who works with nonprofits know knows, um, you wear a lot of hats. So my my official title is fundraising and outreach manager, and in that type of position, I manage all of the social media marketing, our email subscriber list, and the website. Um, but I also handle the gift shop stuff. You know, I do ordering for our gift shop. I manage our volunteers in there. Um, I make sure that everything is well stocked and looking good in there. Um, I also do the events out here. So when we have weddings at the lighthouse, I'm the one coordinating with them and, uh, and the fundraising as well. So when we, when we run our raffle to, you know, win a stay at the lighthouse or, or send out our appeal letter every year, uh, that's stuff that I do as well. So it definitely covers a wide range, but it keeps everything really interesting. You know, it's, it's such an incredible place to be. I feel really lucky to be able to show up at a lighthouse every day for work. Yeah. Well, it sounds like it really keeps you busy. I'm sure Absolutely. you've got a few balls in the air all the time. <laughs> uh, so one of the things that Northern California is famous for is it's redwood trees. And I'm wondering if the redwoods figure at all in the history of the lighthouse? Absolutely. I mean, the Redwoods are the only reason that the lighthouse exists. Um, Back in 1850, that was when the Frolic shipwreck happened. And the reason that shipwreck shipwreck was really important was it was the first time that European and Americans had really found the northern coast of California. You know, that ship was heading down to the Bay Area in 1850 at the beginning of the gold rush to bring goods down to all the fellows who were trying to strike it rich down there. But people had really moved north just yet. So when they sent a salvage crew to find that shipwreck in 1851, what they found instead were those redwood forests. And that was really this huge moment of realization that there was there was money to be made right there. And uh, it's, you know, the Mendocino golds, the redwood trees are a very different kind of golds than the Bay Area, but it was something that those people could make a lot of money on. And so the very next year, the fellow who found that shipwreck uh, set up the very first mill on the Mendocino coast. And that was uh, in the town of Mendocino in 1852. And the reason that ties in with the lighthouse is the frolic shipwreck actually happened right there on the lighthouse property, you know, 59 years before the lighthouse was built, of course. But that was a huge turning point in Mendocino County history. And suddenly all these redwood trees were being milled. These ginormous trees were being put onto ships and brought down to the Bay Area or sent up north to Portland and Seattle. And and suddenly there was a huge need for lighthouses in that area because there were so much ship traffic happening. And so uh, 1909 rolled around and they actually had planned to build a lighthouse there in the 1870s, but the money didn't come through until 1909. And that's when Point Cabrillo was built. 
Yeah, I saw some of those ginormous trees when I I drove the whole West Coast in 2015, and they are uh, incredible. They, it's they just really are amazing. I mean, to see those photos of the of the really really huge trees and the people with their saws standing next to them, you know, after they've been cut down. Um, in in the town of Fort Bragg, actually, there's a slice of one of the biggest trees found in Mendocino County, and it is just mind blowing to think about, you know, the manpower that went into cutting down a tree of that size. It right. Right. really is incredible. And to think about how long some of those trees have been been alive. What is it, a thousand Absolutely. years or more? Absolutely, yeah. M- yeah. More and more. Yeah, more than thousands. It is crazy. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the architecture of the lighthouse. It's it's unusual. It's very pretty. Uh, w- what do you think is uh, kind of special about the uh, the look and architecture of the lighthouse? Yeah, well, I mean, I really love the uniqueness of it. Um, you know, when you think of a lighthouse, you don't think of the Point Cabrillo style. You know, you think of those really tall, lonesome towers. And Point Cabrillo has a really homey look to it. You know, it's very friendly. When you walk up to it, you kind of feel like you're walking up to a church or or a country schoolhouse. And I, I just really think it's it's interesting because there were so many different styles of lighthouses built in the United States. And so I think it's kind of special, like as you get to tour a lot of them and see all the different styles that there are, it's fun to see that there is so many different styles of architecture. I mean, some of those lighthouses built in the Southern California area with those beautiful Victorian buildings and then places like Point Arena or Pigeon Point with those tall white structures and then Point Cabrillo with this homey, you know, cute little church feel, except with a light in the steeple instead of a bell. I think it's a really, a really special thing just that there are so many diverse types of lighthouses out there and it's fun being one of the odd ones you know it's kind of funny um when i'm volunteering down there in the gift shop you'll have these little kids come in and they they walk in and they're like i thought this was a lighthouse it's not (laughs) tall enough to be a lighthouse And, and it's always so fun to chat with them you know about you know like oh well the focal point and lighthouses were built for different reasons you know everything is so unique about each individual lighthouse and it's just so special to get to know one individually so well Sure. So uh, you still have the old Fresnel lens. I believe it's the original lens. Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, it's a spectacular lens. What can you tell me about that? Absolutely. Yes. So that is our original lens. It's been here since 1909. Hasn't left that bluff in 112 years, which I think is such a unique thing. You know, when we took the lens out of the tower for the restoration uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, it was it was not removed from that bluff. We actually set up a building right there next to the lighthouse so that we could do all of the restoration right there on the property. And I think that's such a special thing because that Fresnel lens was going to be taken out of that lighthouse. You know, that was a big piece of the restoration was in the in the late 80s and 90s, the Coast Guard was going to remove that light from the tower because they had decommissioned it back in 1972. And they felt, you know, let's put it in a museum somewhere. Let's put it in storage somewhere. It doesn't need to be in this tower anymore. And that's when the local community got together and said, you know what? This is this is a piece of our history, too. Like, yes, it's Coast Guard history, but it is a piece of this Mendocino coastline and we want to protect it. So how do we do that? And, uh, you know, nowadays we have this contract with the with the U.S. Coast Guard where we're in charge of taking care of it and it'll never leave our lighthouse. And that is such a wonderful 
wonderful and incredible thing to think about because it's such a beautiful piece of history. I mean, what I always love to say is that it's such an incredible piece of art, you know, on its own, mm -hmm. but it's also such an incredible piece of engineering to come out of, you know, the 1800s, just to see that light flash. I mean, I've seen the flash from 30 miles away and just to, to see that kind of magnificence from that tiny little light bulb that's in the center of the lens is so incredible. But yeah, ours is a, ours is a third order Fresnel lens. It was shipped to us from the Chance Brothers, manufactured near Birmingham, England. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that only 11 British lenses were sent to the United States for our lighthouses. And as of today, you know, in 2021, there's only three of those lenses still operating in the United States. And that's ours here at Point Cabrillo. Then up on the Oregon coast at the Hasita Head Lighthouse, they still have an operating British Fresnel lens. And then over on the East Coast on Staten Island is another one of the uh, last British Fresnel lenses in operation. And I think that's such a such a beautiful and unique thing. You know, there are all those little subtle differences between the British and the French lenses. And it's so special, you know, to have, have one of those still in operation, still exactly where it was placed at the beginning and doing exactly what it was built to do. I think that's such a beautiful thing to behold. It is. I always think of the Fresnel lenses that are still in the lighthouses as being in their natural habitat. Exactly. A, yeah as opposed to being in museums, which is great too, because museums give people a chance to see them up close and personal. Of course, but, of course. But to me, they they have uh, more uh, historic value, I think, uh, really in, in the lighthouse. Speaking of uh, Chance Brothers in England that made uh, Fresnel lenses, like you said, a relatively small number used in this country, but the Chance Brothers lenses went all over the world. The Chance Brothers factory in England is kind of in ruins at this point, but there is an effort to restore it and make it into a museum, which would include uh, a lot about their lenses. They did a lot of other things too. They were one of the great glass manufacturers, mm -hmm. but there is a current effort going on to uh, restore the Chance Brothers facility in England. I've so, seen that, and I yeah. think that is so incredible. I'm so happy that's going on. I'm I'm part of a Facebook group that talks a little bit more of that about that, and you know, is finding a lot of those pieces that they made from from dishes to lighthouse lenses, you know, the full gamut. Um, but it really, I, I, you know, that's what I love about this business is that it's all these people who are so passionate about preserving these historic structures, these historic places and telling the stories of the people who came before us. I think that's, you know, that's, that's exactly why I love being here is there's such passionate people. And so I think it's absolutely incredible that they're doing that with the Chance Brothers over there. I interviewed uh, Mark Davies, the man who's kind of spearheading that effort, interviewed him for the podcast. So. Oh, lovely. I uh, will definitely be checking for that later. The main building at Point Cabrillo, the, the lighthouse building, is actually a combined lighthouse and fog signal building. So what can you tell me about the fog signal? Yeah, so our fog signal was decommissioned in the 60s, so it's no longer in use at Point Cabrillo, but during its heyday, it was uh, its signal was two seconds on, two seconds off, two seconds on, and then 24 seconds of silence. And so that was our specific signature here at Point Cabrillo. And one of the stories that I just honestly 
love from Point Cabrillo. Um, there's one fellow who is a light keeper here in the late 50s, early 60s, and he comes and visits at least once every year with his whole family, which they're, they're so lovely. I mean, they come with his kids, his grandkids, his great grandkids, and they're such a wonderful group of folks. Um, but he told me this story from his time as a light keeper that they had 24 straight days of fog on the Mendocino coast. And so that fog signal was running for 24 days straight. And I mean, you know, if you've been to a lighthouse before, you know that those lightkeepers dwellings are very close to the lighthouse. Yeah. Um, you absolutely hear that all night long. And you learn how to speak in these 24 second intervals because you, you know, you have the six seconds where there's the blast, quick two second silence, and then another two second blast. And then, okay, we've got 24 seconds to talk. Like this is our chance. And, uh, I just think it's so funny to think about, you know, I mean, this poor man who who just had this new wife and this new baby and 24 straight days of that foghorn going off. It's got to, you know, it's got to get old after a while, after three weeks. <laughs> yeah. Although I have heard stories about how, especially the children at some of these stations with, with loud foghorns, that they would learn to sleep through it. But then when the mm -hmm. horn stopped after a long period of fog, that's when they would wake up with a start, like something was wrong when the, when the horn stopped. Absolutely. No, yeah. that's it's so true. Yeah, he told me that um, that everyone in his family who lived there at Point Cabrillo did did have tinnitus uh, through the rest mm. of their lives. There was, there was no avoiding that, unfortunately. But you totally get lulled to sleep by it. You know, it becomes a part of your daily life, especially, you know, when it's three weeks straight of it, it's definitely something that you, you better get used to or else you're going to have problems. Yeah. I've also heard from, from other people about how, you know, depending on the, the characteristic of the fog signal, if it was, you know, one blast every 10 seconds or 24 seconds or whatever it mm -hmm. might be, that they would learn to talk around that. But not too long ago, I interviewed the daughter of a lighthouse keeper on Cape Cod, and I asked her about that. I said, did you learn to pause when the horn was blowing? She said, no, you just talked louder. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You figure out a way around it. That's another way of dealing with it, I guess. <laughs> So speaking of the, the families there, I know uh, Point Cabrillo was a family light station. Typically, how many keepers and families were living there at one time? We always had three light keepers here. Uh, we had three houses, three big houses. So our head keeper, our first assistant light keeper, and then the second assistant light keeper. We always had three at a time. And you're totally right that it was a family station. Um, one, of, one of the interesting stories that I love to share is the story of our very first light keeper. His name was Wilhelm Baumgartner. He had actually served at the St. George's Reef Lighthouse up off the coast of Crescent City, California the Farallon Islands Lighthouse off the coast of San Francisco and the Point Conception Lighthouse out on the point down near the Santa Barbara area in Southern California. And so he had served at all these very remote locations, you know, on islands, like on the very far end of a point. And so he was a bachelor throughout his light keeping service. Um, but that didn't fly at Point Cabrillo. Uh, the U.S. Lighthouse Service actually told him that he needed to fix his problem. And the problem was literally that he was unmarried and that this was a family station. And so a couple of years after moving there, he got there in 1908. And I believe it was in 1911 that he married the, the local blacksmith's daughter, Lena. And they lived together at Point Cabrillo until he passed away in 1923. Uh, but I just think that's, you know, such a sign of 
of the times, isn't it? Like, fix your problem. You're not allowed to be a bachelor here. We built these nice big houses for you. You better fill them up with a wife and some children. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Too funny. Wow, what a, what a change. Farallon Islands and St. George Reef, those are two of the most isolated lighthouses on the on the West Coast. Absolutely. Yeah. I know. It's so incredible to think about, you know, the, the things he must have witnessed at each of those stations. I believe he was served for two years at each of those lighthouses. And then Point Brio was the la- last lighthouse that he served at. But I've actually had the the pleasure of, of seeing both the St. George's Reef Lighthouse, which is, or the St. George's Reef Lighthouse Fresnel Lens, which is in a museum in Crescent city and uh, as well as the point conception lighthouse lens which is in a museum in santa barbara and both of them are these you know just big beautifully like perfectly restored lenses and i think it's it was such a, an emotional moment for me seeing both of those and to think of of Baumgartner, you know taking care of each of these lenses at these places mm-hmm. that he lived for so long before coming to Puente Brio, which, you know, I now think of as my lighthouse, uh, but was his originally. He was the he was the first keeper out here. He moved here before they even finished the lighthouse building itself. But but yeah, I know it just it's so interesting to think of the lives of the keepers and the stories and the things oh, they yeah. witnessed out there at those places. Are there any other particular stories of keepers and families at Point Cabrillo that kind of stand out for you? You know, there's one that I that I really especially love, and I love sharing with the kids that come to Point Cabrillo Lighthouse, um, and we call it the big storm story. You know, we're we're in a place where there aren't a lot of really intense storms. You know, we're we're pretty well set back from the cliff, so there's not a lot of times where the waves actually hit the lighthouse in any way. But back in February of 1960, our lightkeepers witnessed quite an impressive storm. Um, it was, I believe what had happened was there was an earthquake up off the coast of Alaska and it had just created all this intense wave action. It wasn't a, it wasn't an actual tsunami, but it was just a really intense storm that happened here on the Mendocino coastline. And it got to be so much with the waves hitting the lighthouse that the lightkeepers actually said, you know, we should not be in this building anymore. We need to get out of the lighthouse. And they left and they brought all of their families up to the farthest east of the houses so that they could be as far away from the ocean as possible. But as the story goes, the the head keeper, as he was walking up, leaving the lighthouse behind him, he turned to look and actually saw the light from the Fresnel lens illuminate this wave that was crashing over the whole lighthouse, like up into the lens room. And, and it's just such a crazy thing to think about. You know, if you've seen pictures of Point Cabrillo, you know that we are pretty well set back from the cliff. And that is a pretty high cliff. And even beyond that cliff, there's a lot of like shallow rocks and kind of like, you know, tide pool style areas. Um, so it really takes a lot for a wave to hit the cliff, much less hit the lighthouse and much less hit the top of the lens room. Yeah. Um, so I just really think it's such a, a crazy thing to think about waves that big. You know, the biggest wave I've seen has hit the back of the lighthouse, but it was on a, a surprisingly clear day. So it didn't feel like a crazy storm. But I just imagine, you know, in the dark of night with a wave crashing like that. And we actually have some really cool Coast Guard footage, um, some photos from the next day where you can actually see all the rocks that were thrown up onto the cliff and, and you know, like the kelp and seaweed that was up on the cliff. It's 
itself. And uh, what ended up happening is that they actually threw rocks in through the back. The storm threw these rocks into the back of the lighthouse and ruined all of the fog signal equipment inside. And so the entire bottom floor of the lighthouse was totally flooded. And uh, the entire cliff itself was just absolutely drenched with all these rocks and seaweed up on it. Um, but yeah, I just, I love those big storm stories so much because yeah. it's it's so different from a typical day at Point Cabrillo. You know, a family comes down and it's sunny and the ocean is flat. And then I tell them, imagine a huge wave crashing <laughs> over this whole thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories. Yeah, uh, it is hard to imagine, but the power of the power of the ocean, the power of the Pacific is incredible. And, you know, you just reminded me just a couple of hours ago, I was reviewing some material on Portland Headlight over on this coast in Maine, yeah. a very famous lighthouse. And uh, the lighthouse is about 80 feet tall. The light is a little over 100 feet above the water. There's supposedly one wave that was like a big rogue wave or tidal wave. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how, how it came about, but this was, I think, in the late 1800s. It actually went over the top of the lighthouse. Uh, which never, I mean, if you, if you're there, you just cannot imagine that happening, but. Uh, oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, this, yeah. I've seen the pictures of Portland head and it, and it's crazy to, to imagine that happening. Amazing. Yeah. So on both coasts, I think we've had rare occasions where things like that have happened, but it's, totally. it's amazing to think about. Uh, so, uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, more recent years at the lighthouse. I know there was a major restoration, there, I think it was around maybe 95 to 2001, if I have that more yeah. or less right. Yeah. Have Has there been more restoration done since that time? Yeah. You know, the major restoration focused, of course, on the lighthouse itself, as well as a couple of the keepers buildings. Um, so since then, they did do the res, um, restoration of the second assistant lightkeeper's house in order to bring it back to what it looked like, you know, back in 1909. And so there have been these little projects that have happened since then, but we were able to do such a big bulk of it at that time, which was so incredible to really bring it back to what it looked like in 1909. And since then, you know, there's a lot of maintenance, obviously. Of course, so not, yeah. a, not a lot of that, those big restoration projects, but, but every couple years, you know, we'll paint each building. So the so last year we painted the cottages, the outbuildings that the light keepers used to have. The year before that, we painted the blacksmith and the carpentry shop. And the year before that, we painted the lighthouse. So every year there are these big painting jobs that happen um, in order to keep the maintenance, you know, really up to par with what the light keepers had it back in the day. Um, but thankfully, you know, we were able to do so much at that time that there hasn't been a lot more of those huge restoration projects that has to happen. But there is, you know, there is one thing that we're that we're hoping to do in the future. We're almost to the complete light station. Um, we're almost back to exactly what it was like in 1909. But there is one building missing on the Point Cabrillo property, and that is the barn. Um, the barn was set just a little bit south of where the lightkeepers' house is and the lighthouse is, out on the on the bluff, just a little bit down south from the rest of the light station. And that building was actually burned down in 1983 as a demonstration for the volunteer fire department in Mendocino, which is, you know, it's so silly to think about, but, you know, we really have learned, you know, a little bit more about protecting historic structures, even just since 1983. Um, and that's, that's a task that we would really love to take on in the coming years is actually rebuilding that barn because it would be a perfect place to hold our educational programs. You know, we get a lot of rain on the Mendocino coast. We get a lot of cold and 
windy days and to actually have a dedicated structure where we could host those school groups and host those tour groups and be able to really share the experience in addition to just having the exact same layout that we did back in 1909 because because there is that one building missing. So that's yeah. a big restoration project that that we do have planned um, at some point in the future, but it is going to be an expensive one. So we are waiting to hear, you know, from state parks if we can find a grant to help us get started on that and break some ground. And we'll probably be doing some fundraising for that in the coming years. Sure. Well, that would be amazing. I ho- hope that happens. But as far as just keeping the other buildings in in uh, relatively good condition, I know how hard that is. You know, <laughs> yes. you, you never never finish. That's for sure. Never you, ever. You know yeah. that salt air does a number on a paint mm-hmm. job. Yeah, you complete one project and something else immediately needs needs doing at least one more thing. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the light station as it is today. What do people experience when they visit there? And I, I know a little bit about this because I was there six years ago, but maybe things have changed a little bit since then. Yeah, totally. Well, I'll walk you through it as you arrive at the, at the light station. You pull into our parking lot and we actually have two different trails to get down to the light station itself. There's uh, the dirt trail, which is a little more rugged, a little bit longer, uh, but it follows the coastline as it heads to the lighthouse. So it's a really beautiful views. You know, you get to see the crashing ocean and and the beautiful coastlands. And it actually um, goes right past where the frolic shipwreck was as well. So that's a pretty cool experience. But you can also take the paved trail, which is a lot easier, a lot smoother, and just about a half mile walk down to the lighthouse itself. And of course, we do have parking for um, folks that that need to drive all the way down. You know, we're not we're not asking any pregnant gals to walk down that hill and walk back up it. Um, and if anyone has you know an ADA placard, we absolutely have parking down there near the lighthouse house. Um, But then once you get to the light station itself, uh, we have our first assistant lightkeepers museum. So that's the very first house that you'll come to. And the first floor is set up as the lightkeepers would have had it in the 1930s. So you'll walk into the laundry room and see the kitchen, the dining room, and the the living room, as well as the office and the mudroom. And all of them actually have a lot of pieces that the lightkeepers um, had given us, you know, the lightkeepers grandchildren had given us, like we have the original clock that Wilhelm Baumgartner had on his mantle. And we have a lot of chairs and, and cutlery from back in those days as well. And the, the second floor of, to the museum is closed. That's where the Point Cabrillo Lightkeepers Association offices are. So only the first floor is open on that building. Um, but it's a really great informative experience and you kind of get to get a feeling of what it was like to live as a lightkeeper back in those days. Then as you walk a little closer to the lighthouse, you'll pass our two vacation rentals and uh, and then you'll come to our marine science exhibit. And so we've actually transformed the blacksmith and carpentry shop that the lightkeepers used to have into a little marine science exhibit where we have, you know, whale bones from gray whales, a piece of baleen, which is uh, the mouth part of the of the gray whale. And we also have a really lovely saltwater aquarium in the next room where we have all the sorts of critters you would find in the Mendocino Coast tide pool. So lots of anemones and urchins, little crabs and uh, and all sorts of good things in there um, with lots of information so that you can learn a little bit more about the kinds of creatures that you would see out here on the Mendocino Coast. 
And yeah. then of course we have the we have the lighthouse itself. Right. And the first floor is open as a museum and gift shop. And it's totally free for everyone to come in. You know, there's a, a suggested donation of five dollars, but we do not require that for anyone to walk through the door. We want everyone to be able to enjoy it. And uh, we always have a volunteer in there from 11 to 4 every day of the year. Um, so you can ask all the questions you like or, or read through the panels on your own and take home an ornament or a magnet. Um, all that all that good stuff you expect at a lighthouse gift shop. And yeah, and there's 300 acres of trails and things to, to see out there. You know, right now is fawn season. So we have all these sweet baby deers um, all over the property and it's... And it's it's always so surprising. You know, you'll honestly be walking a trail and you'll look over and you'll just see a baby fawn like sleeping over there. <laughs> I mean, the wildlife out here on the Mendocino coast is so beautiful and we're so lucky to to have those 300 acres protected so that the, you know, the wildlife comes first. Sure. By the way, I bought a Point Cabrillo baseball cap in your shop when I was oh. there. Nice. Yeah. I love yeah. it. I love it. There's yeah, some good nice... baseball caps. I wear mine yeah. pretty regularly. <laughs> yeah, I wear I wear it now and then. It's a nice hat. But another thing I remember there speaking of wildlife is walking around the, the grounds, there were, I believe, what are called ground squirrels all over oh, the place. Oh, yes. There yeah. are quite a few ground squirrels. Yeah, the beachy ground squirrels is the is the kind that we have out there. And um, you'll see them a lot at Glass Beach, you know, any of the major trails along the coast. And they are just the most friendly little buggers you have ever met. They yep. do not mind coming right up to you and yeah. trying to, you know, snag your bag of peanuts or see if they can get a little food off of you. So they are, you know, a little, little too friendly. They don't have a lot of predators of, of the, of the ground squirrels out there. So they've, uh, they've taken over. Yeah. I remember <laughs> getting fun. A, I like yeah. seeing them. They're cute. They're different from our squirrels. They're, um, I think they're a little bigger maybe than our yeah, squirrels. They're pretty yeah. big, you know, not so bushy of tails typically of our ground squirrels. Um, and they, they build incredible tunnels underground. And it's, it's actually interesting because the main predator of the ground squirrel are these long tailed weasels. And so we have this large population of weasels that lives out there at the lighthouse as well. And they use the same tunnels as the squirrels. And it's always, you know, it's always a surprise when you see a weasel because they are very elusive. They are very hard to find. Um, but it's interesting because they're much smaller than the ground squirrels, but they are the predator of the ground squirrels because they're just very fast and uh, very vicious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, the wildlife out here at the lighthouse is amazing. Right now, we're seeing all the baby swallows uh, start to hatch and we'll see them, you know, start to fly in another month. And it just really is so special. The harbor seal babies were all born back in May and June and it's it's an incredible time you know every season is the best season at Point Caprio but I do sure. love spring uh, so back to the lens which we talked about earlier when people visit there do they get to see the lens up close you know, we don't do tours up to the top of the lighthouse every day uh, because it is still an active aid to navigation. The local Coast Guard Auxiliary Group limits how much we're allowed to do tours up to the top. So typically during regular years, we schedule about 10 visits up to the tower a year. And so that'll usually be on a Saturday uh, once a month through the summer and then quite a bit in March and then leading into the fall a little bit as well. And on those days, it's anybody who walks through the 
the door can get up to the top, you know, a $5 purchase will get you up to the top for an hour long tour. And, um, and you'll get to actually stand right next to the lens. And we have our Coast Guard auxiliary members there to, to share the history and answer questions and talk about the engineering of the lens. But unfortunately, we're not able to do that every day or every weekend. So it's only scheduled down about 10 times a year. But we do have that calendar on our website. Uh, we haven't been able to do it since COVID, of course, but we're hoping that we'll be able to start that back up by, by the fall or maybe early next year. So a few minutes ago, you mentioned the overnight accommodations at the light station. Uh, and you actually took part in an event. We had a Zoom event for the U.S. Lighthouse Society with various people with lighthouse accommodations around the world. So thank you for, for taking part in that. But um, for people listening to this podcast, can you tell us a little bit more about the overnight accommodations there? Absolutely. So all of the, the buildings we have there at Point Cabrillo are original to 1909. So the overnight accommodations we have are the same buildings that the lightkeepers lived in from 1909 up until the mid 80s. And uh, the two big houses, we have the head keeper's house and the second assistant lightkeeper's house. So those are our two big houses and you actually rent the whole building. So you get four bedrooms, five baths in the big house and three bedrooms, two and a half baths in the smaller house but both of them have laundry facilities. Both of them have beautiful kitchens uh, stocked with all the utensils and all the tools that you would need uh, for, for a weekend or a week or a month or however long you'd want to stay out there. Um, so we can actually sleep eight people in the bigger house and six people in the smaller house. And you can even rent both of them and have quite the big you know, family reunion or big group of friends out here. And then the buildings right behind those lighthouses were the outbuildings for the lightkeepers. So they, you know, kept their horses in them, their cars, their yard tools, things like that. Um, but both of those have been transitioned into accessible cottage style buildings. So they're about the size of a hotel room. Uh, it's got a queen bed, a, you know, an, a fully accessible bathroom, a wheelchair accessible shower. And it also has, you know, a TV and mini fridge, all those things that you expect from a hotel room. Um, but that's a really great option because, you know, those lightkeepers buildings weren't built for, you know, folks um, that are differently able you know, all of the built, all of the rooms in the two big houses are on the top floor. And so having those two houses out back allows us to be a lot more accessible, allow us to offer it to a way wider group of people and more diverse group of people, which I think is so special. Um, but that means we can actually sleep up to 18 people in total on the property, which makes it incredible for all sorts of events. And typically, how far in advance do people book accommodations there? I'll bet it's pretty far in advance. You know, it's it's getting more and more popular. And it was so interesting during COVID when we had to, you know, postpone so many of those visits. Um, and our, our poor vacation rental manager gal, she she had to do a lot of a lot of readjusting of those dates. Um, but typically we're we're six months to a year out for bookings. You know, if you're if you're planning for the end of the year or early January, February, you'll definitely be able to find the right weekend for you. But you know, if you're looking at next month, it's going to be a little tricky to book something at Point Cabrillo. Sure. How has the uh, COVID-19 pandemic uh, affected things? There are things uh, almost getting back to normal at this point? 
You know, it's it's been it's been really interesting, Jeremy. It has been very interesting. Uh, we closed the museums back in March of 2020, and we actually didn't open the museums back up until April of 2021. So it was over a year without visitors inside the gift shop or inside any of the museums. Um, and of course, you know, back in March and April and May, we didn't have any folks staying at our vacation rentals, and so uh, income really came to a complete halt at Point Cabrillo Light Station, which um, thankfully, you know, our board members out here had planned for something like this and we already had a little bit set away. So we were able to continue to, to do our mission, you know, of maintaining and taking care of this historic place. But it definitely made a huge dent in what we're able to do. And that's the reason that, you know, fundraising efforts like the, like rebuilding the barn have had to be postponed. But these days, you know, we're mo mostly back to normal. Uh, all of our museums are back open. We're still requiring masks for all of our visitors just to play it safe. You know, we have a, a, a full group of volunteers that takes care of our gift shop and museums and we um, want to make sure that they are protected but yeah we're we're just about back to normal folks are staying in the vacation rentals people are visiting the park we're getting I mean even more visitors than we've ever seen before which has been so wonderful to just see people's faces again and be able to share the history and the stories of this place and actually our weddings are happening again we had three weddings during the month of June and then we have you know a couple more through the rest of the year and so it's really special to be able to see those people gather together to celebrate love and to celebrate family and um, and that's you know such a special part of this place is seeing those events take place uh, just to the south of the lighthouse it's such a beautiful place to to have a ceremony um, so yeah things are almost back to normal I would say <laughs> we're, yeah. we're slowly getting there sure like a like a lot of us I think absolutely yeah so you mentioned uh, the marine science building the exhibit there which I remember very well so is a really neat part of the place there is Point Cabrillo a good place for whale watching? Maybe the gray whales, do they uh, migrate past there? Absolutely, yeah. So we see the gray whales twice a year as they're heading south. We typically see them during the you know end of December and early January is kind of the peak season to see the gray whales off the Mendocino coast. And then we see them again through the month of March and April um, as they're heading north. And that's always what I suggest to people if they're planning to come out here for a whale watching trip um, in March and April, they they have their babies with them. You know, the gray whales went down to Baja to have their babies in those warm lagoons and then they're making the long trip back up to Alaska. And so when they pass by in March and April, we see those we see the smaller whales. We see them much closer into shore and they're typically moving a lot slower, too, because they do have their young with them. And so it really is incredible. We'll see those whales right off the rocks like you'll stand on the cliff and you'll see it right there in the water in front of you. I mean, it absolutely is such a beautiful wow. sight to behold. And it really is such a special thing because I've seen, you know, I've seen so many whales out here. I've seen tons and tons of gray whale spouts, but it never gets boring. It's amazing that every single time it really is such a unique and beautiful experience. Every time I see a spout, I'm like, I feel lucky to have seen that. Even if I have seen, you know, 20 before and 20 after, it's so, so special. Uh, but yeah, Point Cabrillo is actually the spot that sticks out the farthest in Mendocino County along Highway 1. So it's probably the best spot in Mendocino County to do whale watching. I saw some in Southern California. 
Yeah, I mean, there's so many great spots along the California, Oregon, yeah. and Washington coastlines to watch the gray whales. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm partial to Point Cabrillo. <laughs> I, I can tell. Uh, and speaking of that that area, if people come to uh, to see Point Cabrillo Lighthouse, I imagine there's a lot of other things to see in Mendocino County besides the lighthouse. Any top suggestions you might have? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I uh, I do love the museums around here. There's some really wonderful museums that share a lot of the history of Mendocino County and the timber industry. Uh, so the Ford House Museum in Mendocino or the Guest House and Museum in Fort Bragg are two of my favorites. Um, but there's lots of incredible state parks in this area. McCarricker State Park is a really wonderful free park uh, that's just absolutely gorgeous. You can see the harbor seals there. It's a great whale watching spot as well. Um, Russian Gulch State Park is just uh, just south of where the lighthouse is, and that's another beautiful one with a gorgeous beach and beautiful like rock features out in the water. Um, there's lots of tide pooling options, lots of great restaurants. I'm always impressed with the uh, you know incredible restaurants in Mendocino County, specifically in the village of Mendocino. Mm -hmm. um, but of course, you know we're talking to a bunch of lighthouse nerds here today, so uh, I would always recommend going to visit the Point Arena Lighthouse. It's just about an hour south of us, you know, 30 yep. miles as the crow flies. But one of the special things about having our two lighthouses in Mendocino County is you can come to Point Cabrillo and see that Fresnel lens, lens in action, you know, like we talked about. And then you can visit Point Arena and you can see that Fresnel lens in their museum. And I think it's right. so special to have both of those experiences because, you know, it's, I mean, obviously incredible to see it in operation and doing exactly what it was designed to do, you know, in its natural habitat, like you said. Um, but to see all the pieces of the Fresnel lens up close as mm -hmm. you're standing next to it inside the museum at the Point Arena Lighthouse is absolutely just breathtaking. I mean, they have a first order Fresnel lens there. So yep. um, it's interesting to see the differences between the two. There's being a French lens and ours being a British lens. But yeah, that's definitely always on my list when people ask what they should do in Mendocino County. I'm like, well, there's two lighthouses. So make sure those are at the top of your list. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Point Arena is great too. What a spectacular location. Totally. So let me ask you, I imagine it's pretty easy to find information about the, the lighthouse, about visiting there and everything. People Google it. I'm sure they'll find it. But what is the website for Point Cabrillo Lighthouse? Yeah, it's pointcabrillo.org. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if you Google Point Cabrillo Lighthouse, House, you'll find it right away. And we're also on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and TikTok. So you can search us on any platform and you'll probably find us. Wow. Even TikTok. I don't think even that many TikTok. lighthouse organizations are on there. You know, I haven't found a lot of other lighthouse friends on TikTok, but there's a couple of us out there and it is it is a lot of fun. If mm -hmm. there's any of you lighthouse nerds on TikTok, be sure to come find us at Point Cabrillo. Do you do any singing of sea shanties on the? <laughs> you know, I don't sing them, Jeremy, but um, but there are definitely quite a few sea shanties on our TikTok page. You will you will find oh, quite cool. a few of them. I'll oh, have yeah, to look for those. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's one of the the fun things on TikTok that uh, sea shanties, people singing. Uh building on to each other's sea shanties and that kind of thing. I love, Absolutely. Love it's yeah. incredible. I loved this mm -hmm. sea shanty revolution that has come out of TikTok. Yeah. It makes me so happy. Yeah, me too. Me too. <laughs> so uh, I have uh, one final question for you. For Of course, it's for bonus points. So I want you to <laughs> put your thinking cap on and get your number two pencil ready. Uh, <laughs> what is your favorite thing about your work at Point Cabrillo Light Station? 
Well, you know, it's, it is always hard to pinpoint a single thing, but for me, it's all about the people out here. You know, I get to meet such incredible people that come through the museums, that come on the group tours, that come on the lens tours. And in addition to seeing them in person, I've been able to create these relationships with them on social media. So I run, you know, the Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok accounts. And I have this incredible group of people that is so passionate, not only about Point Cabrillo, but about lighthouses in general and about Mendocino County history. And it is so wonderful to be able to have this access to technology that allows me to connect, you know, with, with, uh, with the fellow who runs a lighthouse in Florida, or these people who are trying to, you know, rebuild the Chance Brothers building in, England. You know, I have this capability to connect with people all over the world. And that is such an inspirational thing for me. You know, I'm so, I feel so lucky to be living in this time where we can be so connected and we can talk to people all over the world and share our passions and share what we're excited about, you know, from miles and miles away. So when I say the people, I do mean, you know, not only the people who have actually visited, but the people who are planning to visit, you know, and people who are talking to to me through Instagram and responding and saying, oh, I'm coming in two weeks, you know, like, oh, I'm starting to plan my trip for next year. And it's so exciting to have those conversations. So that's definitely got to be my favorite part of, of my work out here at Point Cabrillo Light Station. Speaking of, you know, communicating with people all over the world, of course, this podcast is, has been a way uh, of doing that. And I've got to talk to people in England and Ireland and Scotland and, and Australia and, uh, New Zealand, et cetera, et cetera. And totally. I'm talking, yeah, I'm here in New Hampshire. I'm talking to you today in California. You Zoom and we're using Zencaster today and Skype and so forth. It's just, it's a miracle. It's really, it it's really, really, really is. I just feel so thankful to be able to, to do things like this. You know, that Zoom presentation we did with the lighthouses with accommodations was so special. And now I'm friends with all those folks who, and we, you know, talk really regularly on Facebook and share ideas and talk about lighthouses and what we're passionate about. And I think, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I feel so lucky to, to work within an organization that that allows me to to have those kinds of connections with people all over the world who are passionate about the same kind of things. Well, it's obvious that you're very passionate about uh, Point Cabrillo Light Station. <laughs> I sure and, like it. Yeah, and about the work that you do, it's it's really obvious, and it's great to hear uh, the, the passion as you talk about all this stuff. And uh, I I hope I can visit there again, maybe uh, maybe get a, a personal tour from you if I'm really lucky. Absolutely, but, uh, yeah. anytime. I've got to get back out there. I really enjoyed it. Enjoyed the whole whole area. Enjoyed the whole West Coast for that matter. But there is something special about the Pacific Coast. <laughs> yes, yes. So Jen Lewis, I, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. And I'm sure we'll be talking more in the future. But I thank you for filling everybody in and all the, the great things about Point Cabrillo Lighthouse, uh, past and present. So th- thank you so much, Jen. And thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. I'm so excited to be a part of the U.S. Lighthouse Society and, you know, be a, be a part of this world. I'm very thankful thankful for everything you do as well. Again, for more information on the Point Cabrillo Lighthouse, check out their website, pointcabrillo.org, P-O-I-N-T-C-A-B-R-I-L-L-O.org. Yeah, uh, I really enjoyed my talk with Jen Lewis. She's uh, so passionate about her work, and I, I think that, that really comes through when you talk with her. 
She's a great ambassador for Point Cabrillo and for lighthouses in general. Uh, so, Jeff, is there anything new that we haven't talked about yet with the U.S. Lighthouse Society that you'd like to tell people about? I don't think so, other than the fact that our tours are uh, starting to operate. Uh, more and more people are getting out there and traveling, which is exciting. And we are in the process of developing our holiday ornament for this year. And mm. we're publishing the uh, new issues of the Keeper's Log. Uh, just a secret uh, announcement about the holiday ornament. Jeremy, you know something about that, don't you? How secret is it? How, can we talk about it in the open at this point or not? I think we have to now. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. The ornament for this year is Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, near and dear to me, 10 minutes from my home here. I'm, been involved with Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse for about 20 years, very closely involved. And it's the 250th anniversary uh, of Portsmouth Harbor Light Station this year, which was established in 1771 as the first lighthouse north of Boston. Uh, so the ornament uh, is a special 250th anniversary ornament of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, which is extremely cool. Yeah, I'm excited to see it. The design looks great. I'm excited, excited to see how it comes out. And we're also uh, in the process of doing a lot of planning here at the Lighthouse Society. We had a great board meeting uh, actually in Florida, in Cape Canaveral. Uh, we actually went to go tour the Cape Canaveral Lighthouse. The group out there is phenomenal. And uh, as part of that meeting that preceded the tour of Cape Canaveral, with, with the help of some new board members and a very energetic group, uh, we're doing a lot of great planning for the future and things are looking really exciting. Excellent. That all sounds great. I interviewed a couple of people from Cape Canaveral Lighthouse not too long ago on the podcast. and I haven't been there personally, but I'm going to get there one of these, these years. So thank you again very much for co-hosting today, Jeff. And I want to thank all the volunteers, members, and staff of the U.S. Lighthouse Society. Of course, uh, people can check out uslhs.org to learn more about all the stuff the Society offers. Thanks, Jeremy. It was my pleasure to help out. And as always, thank you for listening and Oh, keep a good light. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine.